Hey everyone, you are listening to Kesara Sara with me, Sarah Ann Lalone. I'm a teacher candidate studying at the University of Ottawa, sharing my journey into education with the world. Enjoy this episode. Good evening, everyone. It is a blistery Tuesday night where I am located in Cornwall, Ontario tonight. Uh, We had a snow day, but it's been a a very productive day. Got some work done, send out some Christmas cards uh, for the the Christmas rush. So I hope everyone is having a great night. I am thrilled to be live on Voice Ed Radio. It feels like it's been a little while since I've been in this in this space, so I'm so happy to be back. And I'm even more thrilled to have a few really outstanding and remarkable people um, joining me for this episode on design thinking. So before we dive into things, I'd like to have uh, my guests introduce themselves so you can say where you're located tonight and let us know maybe how long you've been using design thinking in your practice. All right, so we will start with Rola. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Rola Tipshiani, and I teach uh, presently grade seven French immersion at All Saints in Canada. Uh, design thinking, actually, it's not new. It's something that uh, we've always been doing at schools from uh, creative writing to creating um, anything that the students uh, would like to create that is a relationship to interdisciplinary learning. So it's nothing new, but then the terminology has really began with the education with the design thinking and the makers mindset as well so it's it's nothing new but uh, I've immersed more skill-based learning with it and uh, technology of course uh, became part of it awesome okay well since it's not new it's something still very new to me so I look forward to hearing your expertise on that tonight Rola uh, we all uh, hey Shana Hi, Sarah, Stephen, Androla. Thanks for um, thanks for making this happen tonight. Uh, I am Shauna Pollock. Um, I am also in Ottawa. So uh, Sarah, Rola, and I are all kind of nearby to each other on this lustry, blistery evening. Um, uh, in terms of design thinking, I, I think I have sort of similar thoughts to roll out. Like it's become design thinking has become a really sort of hot, um, trending piece of language around education lately, but it's, it's basically what we've been doing for years as teachers kind of trying to, um, create learning experiences with and for our students. Uh, but design thinking sort of gives us another way of looking at it and, and links education to other fields, which I always love. Um, so yeah, it's something I've been using since I, I started teaching 12 or 13 years ago. Wow. Well, see, you're so right when you say that it's a hot and trending topic because, I hear it all the time or I'll see it, uh, you know, go through my feed on Twitter, but it's something that I have not learned about yet. So hopefully, um, Rola and Shauna and Steven, who Steven, I'll get you to introduce yourself before we dive into this too deep here. Oh yeah. I, d- I expect to just kind of be in the background. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're here. You're here. Yeah, you're I'm part here. of this. I'm, I'm excited to be here because, uh, yeah, the, the, Design thinking is a hot topic. I love the work they're doing out on the West Coast, the left coast, uh, in regard to design thinking and business. And some of that, I think the trendiness is that in this 21st century, we tend to look to uh, places outside of education to find out what they're doing. And I think some of the new energy around design thinking uh, is uh, is coming from there. I was I had the pleasure of uh, attending a design thinking session a few a, it was a few days actually down at the Rotman Center a number of years ago, and uh, 
it was uh, just a, a real a set of tools that I think really uh, could impact uh, the work we do in classrooms. Uh, so I'm excited about this. I'm Stephen Hurley, and uh, I do kind of some technical stuff here at Voice Ed Radio. It's nice to be here. That's lovely. Well, thanks so much, Stephen, for being there. Um, so I'm super excited because we have, you know, such a strong panel tonight. Um, but I have to admit, so disclaimer is that I know very little about this concept. And I think that's why I wanted to, I guess, have, you know, put this show on live on voice ed radio to, to learn really. And I know only a little bit about this because it was something that my science teacher, well, professor at the faculty mentioned at the last class of the semester that I had in November. So I never really got to learn about it or, you know, ask questions about it, like, you know, who invented it? How can I implement it in a classroom? How do you evaluate it? So it's kind of a, a big mystery to me. So hopefully we can get the answers to to some of those questions tonight. Um, and so to start, I, just, I guess I just want to know the basics. So go through the kind of what, why, when, how, and who. Um, so I'll, I'll throw this one out. Uh, what is design thinking? Let's let's define it. Who wants to go first? Uh, I'll go. Um, design thinking when I it's a process. It's a process of learning. It's a process when you have an idea and you get that idea to come into realism. So it's a huge topic. Design thinking. It's not just like. Um, based just on making as well. Uh, creative writing could be design thinking. Uh, drawing could be design thinking. So it's the process of really having an idea, visualizing an idea, and really getting that idea down by making, by writing, by drawing, and going through that process of how your idea kind of ideate, evolve through your uh, process and um through the participation of your thinking, either collaborating with someone or having to an audience or having to solve a real world problem. So it's really, it's all about the process. And when that comes to mind, first thing, when I think about design thinking, so it's, it's that iteration piece and ideation piece that that loop of reflective loop that goes around either reflecting to what you're doing and how you're doing it or reflecting as a team or um, having uh, a client. So it's it's also involves a skill-based learning. So it's uh, how well are your skills um, applying and uh, learning from that process to really enhance your skill-based learning. So it's a huge topic, but I'll let Shana talk and then we'll unpack it as we go along slowly. Okay, I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with Rola, I guess, uh, both in the fact that um, sort of uh, teaching design and design thinking is around um, teaching students a really purposeful set of repeatable skills that they can use to um, identify and solve problems in, you know, any discipline and, and any area. And it's a really wonderful set of skills for us all to kind of um, mm -hmm. almost, almost sort of name and label and, and understand the process. And the again, like Rola said, the iterations and the experimentation within design. But I think the thing that sort of stands out to me with design is, is that it's, you know, uh, iterating on and creating and ideating on something that has kind of like a purposeful end in mind and, and trying to, to solve a problem or, or to create a thing. Hmm. Okay. Steven, I like that, Shauna. Go ahead, Steven, and then I'll, I'll add to that. I think um, in the work that I've done, and I remember uh, going down uh, to Cleveland uh, to, to do some certification in appreciative inquiry, uh, and David Cooperwriter, uh, who is, the, I guess, the godfather of appreciative inquiry, had us uh, in a second and third day uh, immerse ourselves in some design thinking. Uh, but it came from a, a place of not just having an idea about a product or a service or an enterprise, 
but really beginning with that uh, that end user, that that person, uh, that uh, those, that group of people that is going to be the the user. And so, this phase of design thinking that I that I read about uh, that's so popular out there seems to be wrapped up in the uh, user experience uh, phenomenon as well, where we're actually trying to get into the head and into the heart of the people that would be using our service or our product. And really making sure that the product is designed uh, designed for them. Uh, and so it, it, as uncomfortable as it was, we actually had to go out and observe and talk to people uh, to find out what their needs uh, around a particular area were. And then came uh, came back and and you know brainstormed, um, but it was that that was a different process as well. The brainstorming it was, um, but uh, we'll talk about that later. But uh, <laughs> I think I think for me it was that idea that okay, it's not me in my bedroom or my laboratory or my studio just creating something hoping people will use it. It's actually mm-hmm. starting with the, that end user and, and working backwards from there. Yes, I love that idea of starting with the end user. And you talked a lot about, you know, thinking you're designing for a purpose for a person for your your public. And I think that's the the first piece of the process. So these very small research that I have done on design thinking, I have seen lots of charts and cycles and picto or infographs that, you know, show the process in five steps. So design thinking starts with empathy and then it kind of flows into defining what it is you'd like to to make or create or design and then you follow to the ideate so you know you kind of brainstorm and and start creating and your next step would be the prototype and then you test it and you get feedback and then you rework and stuff like that so you know it looks great in online in a, in a nice cycle or in a little chart, but I want to know from, from you guys, my guests who have lived and experienced this, what does that actually look like? What, how does that translate into a classroom? Um, I'll go, uh, since we're going in turn here. Um, (laughs) well, the first, the first step is empathize. So it's really having like, uh, like Stephen and Sean has said is having an end user, finding an issue uncovering some needs. Uh, it's designing for, um, uh, for opportunities as well. So there are many forms of that. So I will just take this year's example. Um, for example, kids observed, uh, we're looking at doing something with our community. We're looking at citizenship, a variety of things. Uh, and so we thought we'll start with our school community. So the kids have observed the autistic kids. And so we took a day observing, uh, taking notes, interviewing, um, their uh, teacher assistance with them and lots of questions and finding what they really need and what can we design for them to help uh, with their day-to-day practices. So that's one example. So another example would be like having a client, someone coming up uh, with a problem for you. So we're doing ecosystems and science. We've done some water filters before, variety of things that we have designed, but we were looking at doing something for animals and um so we, we contacted uh, the Humane Society. So there was a problem presented to us. But again, we interviewed the people. We have talked to them. So we created these empathy maps. So the empathy maps is really specific to who you're designing, what you're designing for, what do they hear, what do they see, what do they feel. So it varies on your client as well. And based on that empathy map, then the students start unpacking um, their ideas together, right? So uh, when we talk about designing, uh, it's actually building those skills. When we talk about building the skills of valuing each other's idea, of uh, presenting, working together, um, defining the problem together. So it's the beginning of the process we're focused on right now, the empathy piece. So having an Mm -hmm. end user is important to solve. I love it. And I love that that learning is so authentic that you actually get to go out into a space and talk with real people who have real problems. How did your students react to that? The kids, the students love it. So on actually uh, this week, we're having the Humane Society person come in real, like to the classroom. We've done virtually a lot. And we also reached experts online to give us feedback. So 
the empathy piece is a huge process of it because that's what you go back and reflect on. So what's the purpose of your design you're doing? Um, so the, the, the kids have gone through many experiences uh, and I've gone through amazing experiences with them over the years. Um, so that it, it is good because the, the, the students are keen um, to work and having someone to communicate with and give them feedback as well. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Stephen. I think one of the things that um, that emerges out of this when you when you actually authentically go out and I mean authentic, you're actually listening uh, and watching mm-hmm. uh, how people uh, interact in their particular environment in their natural habitat, if you will. Um, <laughs> and take that back. You have you have to hold. Um, I think you have to hold your beliefs kind of lightly and your and your assumptions kind of lightly and and be prepared to have. Uh, those challenged because often, you know, I find I go out and I assume what my students will will appreciate or what, uh, you know, an audience will appreciate. Um, but it's not until you actually go and talk to them that you say, well, maybe not. You know, it's maybe I just assumed that. And um, and I think any process that allows you to um, to push back against what you think you know about people is is a good one i agree it's it's collecting that data and observation and it's nice to usually um like you have to you cannot judge obviously uh the perspective is out is is out of it because you're really observing and you're really uh you know, building that empathy with that person and really unpacking, like the kids still go downstairs to the specialist room and they still continue going down and asking more questions about the needs uh, for the students. So having that connection, the Mm -hmm. end user and constantly consulting with them is important. Mm -hmm. I'll let Shauna go ahead then. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything Stephen and Rolla have been saying and, and yeah, um, I mean, I mean, so in this sort of stage of the empathy building um, on the framework that you had described, Sarah, this this stage is so important, and it's not necessarily a typical set of skills that we um, empower uh, learners to work on within schools. Like neither teachers nor students really mm-hmm. focus on this generally. So at the beginning, it's often really uncomfortable to start um, incorporating this because like Stephen said, it, it's it's listening openly and without judgment, but really trying to understand someone else's point of view. And, and some of the tools, most of the tools for design thinking are super simple, but they're just kind of um, frames on how to make you have great conversations and learn from other people. And so one of the tools that, that I use with my learners on this and, you know, in fact, I'm in the process of, um, I've, I've created, uh, we've created this new blue sky school that I'm working at this year and we're constantly, um, using design thinking and the design process to come back and iterate on what we're doing. But, um, so I often model that for my students, um, but also like a tool that we use for this empathy to start kind of the cycle is just asking really simple questions. So you do an interview with a user and if you can't actually access your ideal user, then you have people play the role of the user, which you can have them do like the, the most positive possible user and the most negative possible user. But you ask them really simple questions like, who are you? What do you need? And what do you want? And then really at that point, the, interviewer just has to be like this open vessel for receiving that information and coming in without judgment on the person and without immediately jumping to solutions. It's really just about gathering that data, which can be really, really hard to do, like just to take all of that in. Um, and some folks build like a, like an avatar or a persona to kind of represent, um, the, the customer, the client or the user to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so teaching students, those listening skills and reflecting back what they're hearing rather than adding their own interpretations is a really sort of crucial piece at this empathy building stage. Yeah. And so I, I'm taking what you're saying, Shauna, this whole idea of listening and gathering all that feedback that you get with the idea of Rola talking about an empathy map. Um, Rola, if you can just give me a very brief description, what does the, what does an empathy map look like? I'm trying to visualize it. I can't. 
So the empathy map is the person is at the center of the map. And so the kids, depending, again, is are we observing, collecting data? Uh, because the design has a purpose, right? It, it's, uh, it's like Sean had said, it's keeping the judgment out of the way and really based on the observations. So when the ideas kind of start, the ideation piece started discussing together, they might have more questions regarding to follow through the empathy map. So they go back to the end user again and ask more questions or observe some more because the design is really serving the needs of that person. So when I talk about the students designing for autistic kids, they had the more that they talk about the, the user, um, the more that they had more questions. And so they would go down and ask more questions just to collect that more data than having themselves to make that decision and judgment. Okay. That is really neat. So it it's continuous. It just doesn't stop, right? Uh, we're just talking at the beginning. Yes. So to, to, right. to really get the design going. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Stephen, what did you want to add? Um, well, nothing really, but no, I did. I did have something <laughs> to add. And, and I think in the literature on design thinking that word iterative is it's, it's kind of a neat word. It just, that, that, never stopping that it just one idea begets another and begets another it's very biblical uh and but i want what i wanted to add is i i sat down yesterday at lunch uh and and i have a, a habit or a, a ritual of watching a ted talk uh, and that makes that ensures that i actually get at least 20 minutes for lunch um but the the, the it was a uh, a lady who's a publisher at uh, Busby. Now I'd never heard of Busby, but you probably know Busby. Uh, it's I think I do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of it's social media content, and and they had done this experiment where they they were asking the question, what makes what causes something to go viral in social media, and uh, the uh, person that was speaking. Uh, leverage the work of Clay Christensen. And if you've, if you've ever heard of the innovators dilemma, the book, the innovators dilemma, that's Clay Christensen. And so he's, he thinks about um, how innovations and ideas move through organizations and, and into our, our cultures. Uh, so his latest uh, book um, uh, I believe is on innovation in customer choice. So what he did was he and a team went to McDonald's and this was part of the empathy empathy piece in their design process. Um, And they stood there inside the store and this was early in the morning. So it was before eight 30 in the morning. And they noticed that uh, a number of people uh, came in. Um, They were actually there for 18 hours on one particular day, but uh, they, they were, they noticed that a really interesting number of people at early in the morning, before 8.30, went up and they ordered a milkshake. And they got in their car and drove off with it. And that's what they were trying to understand. They were trying to get that empathy piece there uh, about milkshakes. And they were curious about that. And they, they, uh, So they stood at the same McDonald's the next day. And they approached people who had bought milkshakes. And they said, you know, we're re- really having a problem here with your behavior. which is kind of interesting approach anyways. Um, And their question was really, really interesting. And it just flipped my imagination and knowing that you were going to be talking about this tonight, just, just a a light went off. And the question they asked is, and this is word for word, what job are you trying to get done that caused you to come into McDonald's to hire a milkshake at six 30 in the morning? (laughs) And the part of the question that blew me away was the idea of hiring a milkshake. And so they want to know, why are you hiring this? What job are you wanting to get done? So Clay Christensen is all about um, uh, the jobs to be done. And that's his, his uh, approach to innovation. So every product that we use, every uh, service that we use, whether we know it or not, we actually hire that thing or that person or that is easier to think of as a person, but to hire uh, the idea of hiring a milkshake forces you to focus on what job people are using it to get done. And it's not nourishment. It's not necessarily nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um, In many cases, it was keeping them company 
um, keeping them focused on the way to work, a long, uh, you know, a long commute. Uh, it was a lot of other things other than drinking it. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And in, in the design thinking process, um, it was a real eye-opener for me. So I just thought I'd throw it out and hopefully open your eyes as well. It, it is very fascinating. I don't even know where to begin with that. No. Well, I didn't. <laughs> I've had a whole 24 hours to consume it. <laughs> yeah. We might just have to do a whole nother show just on that story alone. <laughs> Unless Rola and Shauna have something to add to that. I don't, I don't even know. I, I don't know where to begin. It may not fit at all, but... <laughs> Well, as the as a learner right now, I sure don't know where to fit it in. That's why I'm kind of calling for assistance on this one. But uh, we can. Oh, go ahead. It, it reminds me a little bit of what what Stephen's saying. I, I haven't heard sort of the job and the hiring, but it it just reminds me of the. It, it's really figuring out the the outcome that is desired, right, by those guys right. buying that early morning milkshake and really understanding like they're investing some money into something, they're investing some time into something and what, what is it that that's serving to accomplish? And so that's a, that's a, a question you encounter a lot when you're working with a client or somebody maybe interested in investing, they kind of ask like, what is, what is it you're actually selling people, right? It, it's not like in, in the story that Stephen shared, it's not the, it's not the milkshake, it's, of the, course. <laughs> it's, the, it's the thing that the milkshake does for the client. So it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's a really interesting um, sort kind of, of analogy. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> just to follow up in the particular TED talk, they weren't talking about the milkshakes, but they were talking about the content and what causes something to go viral. And it was their attempt to understand that, uh, you know, you can say uh, your website has, um, you know, a lot of great content, but unless you frame it in terms of the job that it's going to do. So is this set of stories or this set of podcasts, for example, going to um, make you laugh? Is it going to draw you into a community? Is it going to um, teach you something? And so they were just encouraging people when they're designing uh, content uh, if specifically and, and, mm-hmm. and advertising it, make sure that you're advertising it uh, according to the job that people may need to get done in their life. Uh, here's, a, here's a set of podcasts, for example, that is going to help you do your housework on a Saturday, you know, or a set <laughs> of tunes that is going to, you know, keep gotcha. you, you know, so that's, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that really is. So let's, I want to get through the process of what design thinking is. And empathy is obviously the most important place to start, which is step one. So once we've, you know, used our empathy maps and gathered all that data and collected all those authentic experiences, whether it be with experts online or, um, you know, going somewhere, um, we have to define what it is our public or our client or whoever it may be, what their needs are. So what does defining, what does the defined step look like? You know, you have to kind of pick that one specific problem that you want to solve for the rest of your project. So how do you, you know, how do you help, you know, as a, I also want to look at it from a teacher's point of view, how do you help your students choose that problem as well? Shauna? So, um, this, this is hard and it, and it's hard when you're first introducing it to a group of students because it's a, it's a new sort of way of thinking within schooling contexts. And Mm -hmm. I love, um, I've seen the term used like fall in love with the problem you're trying to solve. And I love that term and discovering that problem that you're trying to solve is really challenging. There's a, there's a number of ways that you can do it. Like, like a situation might come to you, like sort of in when Rolla was talking about the children who, who are looking for some, for for some other programming at her school. Um, and then sometimes there's things like, uh, my students this year designed, um, a workshop that I delivered at a conference, uh, that was about the maker mindset. So we had a problem right away. We were, uh, how might we, 
well, and so this is about the defining, right? So this language, how might we, if you're not familiar with it, this is really, really design thinking. Um, there's, there's a way to kind of change the way you look at the world entirely, which is mm-hmm. just figuring out the essence of your problem and then making it an opportunity rather than, um, rather than uh, letting it block you off. So that term, how might we, and you'll see it a lot in, you know, people shorten it into HMW. So how might we, uh, I think the students ended up generating the, the sort of problem statement. How might we um, empower educators to create, ex- make your experiences for their students? I think that's what we sort of ended on. But this definition stayed, I almost look at it as like Mad Libs. So okay. like, <laughs> that's so fun. Yeah. You can do like the first blank is like a user and then needs and then you have the next blank is what they need. And then the third blank is because, and that's your, um, your like insight. Like what is the, why do they need that thing? So, uh, even if we went back to the milkshake example and I'm taking it very literally, but, um, uh, early morning McDonald's customers need milkshakes because they need to stay awake on the way to work and they don't drink coffee or, or whatever that is. And, and for my students, it was, um, uh, educators need uh, to feel empowered because uh, creating a maker classroom is challenging. So when you have that sort of problem and then you turn it into an opportunity, so how might we create that thing for that set of users? So that's that's my sort of like boiled down piece about, uh, yeah. about um, defining your problem. Okay. So Shauna, in a classroom, is everybody working on the same problem or do they all have individual problems? Are they working in groups? What does that look like? So one of the big things educators need to understand about design thinking, and I'm sure they're hearing this if they're listening to this podcast, is that that it's kind of a messy process. And (laughs) the teacher and the students have to be okay with some ambiguity and putting things together. I think a great way to start as a, as a class would be to start with one design sprint together as a group and start with a relatively simple problem that you can turn into an opportunity. So designing some sort of product for an audience or, or a set of users that they can actually interview in person in their school. So even their own classmates. So designing, I don't know, a new pencil case, like within Mm -hmm. their own classroom. And then because the, for the first several times you do design thinking, learning the process in itself is so valuable. So that, so the, the problem, you know, you can find something that applies to everybody in a broad scope. And then ideally, yes, students would kind of use this independently to work on their own sorts of projects. Yeah. Okay. Cause that was something that I was really wondering, like if everybody's working independently on a different project, I, I, I have this word in my head and I only have the term in French. So maybe Rola can help me um, translate it, but accadre nos élèves. So kind of, um, being able yeah. To, yeah how do you say that Rola it's like putting them in <laughs> like, a, like a framing framing kind of like a yeah. framework yeah. without putting them like in a box yeah. how do we like frame our students to say you know maybe the problem or you know defining the problem uh the de- the problem that you're defining might not be exactly what you think you know try and guide them in a different direction or you know are we as educators allowed to do that when when we're doing the design thinking yeah. process yeah i'll um i'll just add on to shauna's i agree mm-hmm. with everything she said like so defining really is um identifying the key features or potential users and like what the requirement um choosing a design opportunity and that's also like a very important stage of the design process because like sean had said like you the, the students learn to do good questioning uh how might we uh tell me more, all that, that kind of uh, skill-based communication and collaborative uh, come out of the students. So that is a very important uh, part of the process before they can go into the ideating. So uh, where then they start generating uh, potential ideas and valuing each other's ideas. So 
And when we talk about a process, really students need to be growing through that. So to build this good community in the classroom, that is important because you can't just students just start collaborating. They could at the beginning where they can you can scaffold their um, their way of what's working and not working and build that language uh, for design thinking and build that valuable of thinking together. So those skill based learning are important in order for the process to to be accomplished throughout the year. Okay. Steven and then I have a, another question. <laughs> Just, Go ahead. just to throw in, I probably I promise this won't be way out there. It'll be grounded in, in a in an actual classroom. I had the chance of visiting and, and doing some interviews last year up in Andrew Doby's class in Brampton, and and they are um, their whole purpose in that program is it's, it's a um, a magnet. Um, SciTech uh, program in Brampton, a regional program. And so they uh, spend a lot of their their time uh, in this program uh, refurbishing old computers uh, that have been donated so that mm. they can put them back into the system. Um, but as part of that, uh, they, they were doing some design thinking. Uh, and this was fascinating because, you know, it's, it's you, you, you fix a computer and there's really only a couple of ways to do that. I mean, you can get creative in, in how you do it, but you have to have the operating system working properly if, if when you turn it on, it actually works. Uh, but they were also given the challenge throughout the year of using their passion for technology to uh, imagine uh, designing a, a product that was going to help someone with uh, either a physical or a learning need. And so they were they they went out to to find information about the those what those needs would be and they came back and each group of two or three uh dealt with were with a particular need. Some of them were physical needs, ambulatory uh needs. Others were um, uh, there were a couple that were dealing with some uh, uh, the the idea of that autistic students need for um, for communication uh, and to you know to make their views known and so they were designing all of these and so to the question of whether the whole class is working on the same uh, challenge or not this one um, they were working on the same broad challenge but within that challenge were able to walk around and find uh, find different uh, app, uh, possible applications. And it was amazing uh, watching them move through this and then go back and watch, uh, mm-hmm. hear them to present their prototypes. So inspired by the same challenge, uh, but uh, enough freedom to uh, so that not everyone's doing the same thing. Okay, so if we're moving from the ideate, um, yeah, we're moving from the no, the define to the ideate. I just want to make sure that I'm understanding or being able to um, contrast these two um, stages because when you're defining, if I'm understanding what everyone's saying, it's when you're you're kind of choosing your problem and then when you ideate and we can kind of dive further into this, you're talking about the solution you're going to be using. And that's just kind of like an open-ended question, yes or no. Is that how um, the ID8 kind of process works? Rola? Uh, yes. So you're, uh, you're moving uh, into ideation, uh, which is really generating uh, potential ideas um, and add to others' ideas. So this is where the process starts um, building. So it's... Um, Evaluating uh, personal, social, uh, environmental impacts. Uh, so the ideas start generating, and that's interesting because this is where the students really start um, revisiting uh, the empathy map, revisiting the purpose of the task. Because every idea that they generate, it has a purpose, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's answering to to a problem. And so, yes, so the ideation could also change as they go through the, as well, the prototyping, because they could go back to the drawing table and iterate uh, their ideas, right? So it's just that process that loops around. Okay, so we have talked about empathy 
and um, then defining and then we're ideating and, you know, these three processes, how, how long has this taken, let's say in a real classroom, you know, we're already at the third step. Uh, is this a week in two weeks into the, to the design thinking project? Um, anybody? Uh, well, yeah, it's interesting because we have been working on this, um, just the problems I mentioned, uh, since October. Uh, but mind you, at the meantime, uh, there are other things we're doing in class, right? And the kids are really keen to continue. It's amazing how their perseverance builds up because as they start ideating and going through the prototyping process, they don't mind going back to the drawing table and, and improving their design as they go along. Like today, a uh, couple of the girls who are doing that canine solution for the human society, they had so many great ideas and they kept evolving and they finally came up with this, another idea right now. And so they're just designing this, their idea. So it's a process, right? Uh, so you have to give them time. It's not something with, like, it, it has to be done soon. But you have to give them that time to grow with the ideation and the prototyping and the going back to the iteration, of that process, that loop around and giving, mm-hmm. going back to that purpose. So what is the purpose, right? And yeah, as I- Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Shauna. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, as the educator or facilitator of, of a design thinking exercise, you know, you can, like Rola said, this can be something that takes place over many, many months or, or years even okay. in, the, in the generation of a, of a product or an idea. But you can also, depends as, your, as an educator, what your purpose is in doing this. So I have run design sprints where you run through the entire design thinking process um, in a matter of like three or four hour workshops with university students, high school students, middle school students, uh, elementary school students, and groups of adults. So you can um, you can do a number of different things. It, it just depends, like, if you're actually using the design thinking process to solve a problem and create a product, it's going to take you a long time. But in terms of teaching the teaching children or learners how to um, how to design think, that can happen quite quickly. Uh, and and there are a number of tools that you use to kind of expedite the process, and then you can continue to expose them to other tools and they can create their own tools through time. But you know, there it's, it's up to you. You can, you can do this process really, really quickly to test it out. And then you can do it uh, really, really slowly to use all of the pieces to create something. Hmm. Okay. See that that's perfect. I love that because it's super flexible. And Shauna, if you ever doing a workshop with the, you know, with the faculty of ed students on design thinking, sign me up because that would be, I would love to, you know, as educators or as a future educator, it'd be so rich to have experienced design thinking before, you know, implementing it in a classroom. Come hang out at Blue Sky anytime. We'll do, we'll do a little sprint for you right there. <laughs> the kids, the kids actually- I love it. They actually they've asked not to be called kids anymore. They've asked to be called learners. So the the learners um, led a design sprint for um, adult learners at the Innovation Science and Economic Development Lab. So they have run um, they've run these, and it, it's once you know the process, it's it's easily replicatable. So I, I I think maybe if you're feeling intimidated by design thinking, I think it's just because there is so much out there right now. But as soon as you sort mm-hmm. of dig into the process, you'll see oh. Like, like Rola was saying at the beginning, there's so much of this that you're already doing as, as someone who designs learning experiences and even designs episodes of a podcast. Okay. Well, I would love to learn from your learners one day in Ottawa. <laughs> Rola? Uh, yeah, just so like the beginning of the year, uh, we do those sprints and those are important kind of little designs like Shana was talking about where students kind of feel the process and learn the skills required to do the process and just learning to value each other's uh, thinking and just building that community. And those are the best things. There are a lot of many activities that you could do at the beginning of the year where you could do those little design thinking sprints. And those are important to do for, to, to, to build that um, respectful community of learners at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love the idea of sprints. 
um, definitely something I will look into. Stephen? It's interesting. The, um, you know, we, we talk about this and then we look at the, the environment that we do design as educators and we, and we are, are encouraged, if not forced by this conversation to ask, do we use design thinking when we, A, design our schools, um, B, design mm-hmm. our curriculum, and, uh, and C, design the, the day-to-day lessons. And I think, you know, the, the, the work that the Rotman School is doing on, on uh, design thinking and w- what else was it, uh, Rolla? I think we were at the same session or took the same... Integrative thinking. Integrative yeah. thinking, yeah, just different yeah. ways of thinking about it. And, and I know Heidi Seawack has, has, uh, has really leveraged a lot of this in, in her work and has had great success with it. But the one thing that I, um, I got from the uh, conversation we had uh, with the group from the Imaginative Education Research Group last night uh, out of Simon Fraser was the importance of, um, of going for the story and and really, uh, you know, in that in those first stages of of empathy, and in the throughout, um, you know, carrying a sense of story with us. These are these are real human beings that uh, that we're designing for, uh, and they they uh, we live for stories, and stories can draw us in, but stories can also inform us uh, of what uh, what's necessary or what's needed. So it's just a a little thought. <laughs> That's why you're here, Stephen, to share those little thoughts. <laughs> I love them. Um, but looking at the time, we have 15 minutes to at least get through the last two steps of define uh, of design thinking. Well, you're still so, trying to do that, are you? <laughs> yeah. We, well, we've started, and you know, all of my other questions, we'll just have to save it for a design thinking podcast part two because I didn't even get through half of the questions I wanted to ask tonight. But I think it's really important to kind of lay the foundation and define each step of this process because it, it's so important. And so we've gotten to the third, uh, no, the fourth out of five, sorry, which is the prototype. Um, and so, you know, I'm wondering, is this the most important part of the design thinking process? I know I'll have a couple um, of responses on that, but this is where, you know, to me, I feel as though you're going to start build, either you're making uh, like mock-ups or maybe drafting it out on paper. Um, what does What does this look like? What does this step look like? Uh, I'll go ahead. The prototyping, um, again, it, it involves many steps. So it could be, for example, like it could be just made out of little papers that might depict the design. It could be uh, made just off a drawing as well. It could be using many tools that might, like you can use in making a making instead of having an Arduino or something that you wanted to talk. So it the prototyping could be a variety of, uh, of ways um, of coming up. What is important to know also, the prototype could be, an, it's an important piece. It doesn't mean that you have to have a final product all the time, depending on what you're doing and the capability of what the student's imagination is and the design itself. So the prototyping is, is a lot of fun because as kids do tend to measure and build and design. For example, like uh, some kids for the innovation team, they're building, uh, they went to the retirement home and they observed them. They needed tools for eating and so on. So they made like different tool uh, handles for spoons and knives and forks uh, from papers. But then when they, um, when they have them try it, so that paper could, it's easily to, to change, to prototype, then when you 3D print something instead of 3D printing, you know, uh, 3D printing the same thing over and over again because your measurements had to change and so on. So it, it all depends on the prototyping. I don't know if that's helping or not, but uh, the prototype is a very important idea. Sometimes the prototype could be the end of, like, the process because you are not able to actually, if you don't have 3D printer in class, right? So it varies on what you are designing. Okay. Does the prototype have to be something physical always? Not necessarily. No, it doesn't always have to be something. It could be something made out of plasticine. It could be something uh, made out of paper. It doesn't have to be physical. It could be also like a Google drawing. So there's many ways, depending on your design, right, what you're doing. Okay. 
Shauna, with your experience, what does the prototype stage look like for you? I, I, I mean, I agree with Rolla. So you can do, <laughs> you can do sort of a storyboard of your prototype. So you don't actually physically build anything at all. You just show what it looks like. Um, uh, you can you can build a physical version of your proto- prototype. I mean, there's nothing more valuable to to makers and designers than just a ton of cardboard and duct tape. Um, mm. You can build wireframes if you're building a um, if you if you're wanting to build an application uh, or a computer program. You can just make uh, versions of what the screen will look like, and you can actually upload those into different apps so that you can actually navigate through them physically. Um, or yeah, a prototype can look like anything and it can be very literal or you can build a prototype that is, um, very, very figurative. So, uh, we were working on some design work and the students were asked, what would the future look like in 50 years? Uh, if, you know, the promise of artificial intelligence and blockchain and computer based interface and all of these augmented reality and virtual reality are, kind of realized and some of them built very literal futures with those things being used. And then some mm. of them have futures like um, all of the bullying that they anticipated happening. So types out of Lego and Play-Doh is what they built. It's just about taking your idea and, and refining it a little bit and developing it a little bit so that other people can interact with it and really see it in person. Right. So then that would flow really nicely into the last part of the process, which would be testing it. So you're kind of testing your ideas and you would be going back to that that public or that person or, you know, that that piece of empathy where you went and got all of the needs. And when you you test it, you are you always going to rework it? You know, what are you what are you getting in that last step? Because then you're kind of working between your prototype, you're testing it, you're getting feedback, you're going back, you're reworking it. And then, you know, you, you go until you get kind of that perfect, you know, I don't really like the word perfect, but you get kind of that final piece that, that meets all of, all of the needs. So when I, um, think about Rola's, um, with her students and going to, you know, meet the needs of, uh, the students in her, in her school, um, who have autism. Um, what does that look like for you, Rola? When, when you guys finally get to that step, what will that test and that final, that final step look like? So the final step actually might take place, uh, next week, uh, hopefully. Um, so the, it's, it's very exciting for the students because that, they know that they're not just making product, they're making a change a difference. And I think that's the biggest piece of it when we talk about empathy. Like it's so exciting watching them iterate and ideate and iterate and ideate and go back and uh, ask more questions and come back. Uh, and that, again, I, ca- I cannot stress saying about that perseverance piece because they know that they have an end user. They know that they're going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And it's not just necessarily to what I'm talking about for the autistic kids, for any designs that the students, when you create a real problem for them. Uh, so it's, it's, it's exciting. It's that, that, that energy that builds up in them and, and that excitement of really unpacking so many, um, so many skills and so many technologies could be or so many other ways, tools that they've never used in their life from plasticity, from molding, from anything. So that is important now. The prototypes, they look very different from the maybe the product that might be at the end. I don't know how far we're going to go with it because some of their ideas are amazing and some of them requires real engineering, like uh, learning many mm-hmm. languages and so on. But they're excited just to have the prototype. Sometimes the prototype is enough. So they're, gonna, they're making different prototypes. And so they're going to give them to the user, observe the user, get feedback from the user. Um, so it, it's, it, you know, it, it's... What's enriching really is, again, it's not the product itself. It's mm-hmm. the product is great to have if you you know depending on what you're designing, but also it's that whole process and and that makes a difference, right? So so they will be they have they've had a lot of prototypes where the elderly is going with the utensil, they get feedback, they go back to the drawing table, they make them. Uh, the same thing with the uh, humane society, the lady 
virtually. She's coming physically now to see the design. Uh, we had a vet also. They designed for vets some solutions. And uh, the same with the suitcase. So they'll be next week kind of uh, taking the product to the end users and getting feedback. That's perfect. So what I got from that is that it's not necessarily or not always about the product, that it's more about the process that they get to live and, you know, in the end, the experience, right? Yeah. And sometimes it has a, like, it has a product or is a box or something that moves. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like, you know, as it is, you know, going to be commercialized, like we're doing entrepreneurial later on in the year and that they might have to sell to kind of uh, make money for making a difference. So uh, there are many ways of approaching this. Uh, I'll stop so that Shauna can get in and, and Steve as well. Yeah, we'll do Stephen and then Shauna. Go ahead. I'll just be brief. I just I love listening to Rola talk about this because it's so grounded. And um, But it, 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 it strikes me that this uh, prototyping part is really, for me, where the rubber hits the road. Um, because, you know, for, for, for years we've had kids do creative things and design things. Uh, um, but the the prototyping that stems from that listening process and that empathy uh, in going back and testing it, you're not just testing to see if it works, you're testing to see if you got it right uh, from their perspective. Were we listening um, carefully enough? Uh, is is this what you you were thinking? Did we hear you? Those those are questions that are kind of new uh, in this in the classroom space, anyways. And I think that's. To me, the most exciting part of this is is that ability to go back and 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 just make sure you know keep making sure that you're getting it right or getting at least closer. Yeah, and I was just going to add um, that one of the big adjustments in my thinking when I've really looked at this is just that there isn't it, there's not a focus on the finished product. It's on um, continuing to iterate on an idea and make it better. And I, I like, there's a lot of companies that use this sort of as one of their core values, but when they're living in perpetual beta, so they're constantly testing an idea and taking it to, to beta testers and people, and, and people are now launching products that aren't, you know, in their final stage, it's, it's in its beta stage. And it's a really empowering thing, um, for, for, for youth and adults alike to kind of realize like you don't have to have everything figured out to launch something. You can, you can give it a try and then come back and make it better. Yeah. And I think too, that whole, um, that whole idea of taking the risk and putting that beta out, or maybe even like living a failure while putting that, that thing that may not be perfect yet, um, is a huge learning experience for those students or for those learners. Yes, you. Uh, that's what I was just going to add. We, that growth mindset is unbelievable, and and to see them just the change, their natural change, their caring, um, going through that process really changes the students. Gives them that maturity. It gives them that um, that community um, community value, and it really mm-hmm. changes their mindset for sure. For, for yeah. everything, not, ju- not just the design, not the artistic, for everything in their everyday work, for everything that they do, they become compassionate. And and the process empowers them to act on that compassion too. Yes. Like they actually realize that they're agents in, in making change. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that personalized touch to everything that they're doing and that gives them that risk-taking in everything they do in class. There's no more fear of expressing themselves. There's no more fear of trying things and not working out. So they, they their whole mindset changes as well. Wow. I love that this whole idea of design thinking kind of blends into the rest of, of your classes, maybe, um, when you're learning other things, uh, in the classroom. So, uh, we, we've done it. It, It's been an hour and we got through defining and kind of diving into each step of the design thinking, um, process. So before we end off here, I'll just give you guys um, the chance to let our listeners know how they can connect with you um, either on Twitter or email. If you have a website, you can shoot it out there. So we'll start with Rola. So thanks so much, Rola, for being here tonight and sharing all your insight. 
Thank you for including me and inviting me also. Uh, Twitter is the best. I'm kind of behind blogging. I might spend my Christmas holidays updating six, seven blog pages. I'm not sure yet, but it's exciting and um, just connecting on Twitter. Perfect. Shauna, Blue Sky School, how can people talk to you, get involved, learn more about design thinking, or even have your learners come in and, and help them learn about design thinking? We're easy to find online um, everywhere, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Blue Sky School CA. And voice Amazing. And last but not Yes, last but not least, Stephen Hurley. Yeah, I know. They find Shauna and the Blue Sky School, their weekly podcast or broadcast, live broadcast on Voice Ed Radio. Of course, yes. (laughs) That too. Yeah, and you can find me. It's Stephen underscore Hurley and uh, always hanging out uh, here at uh, Voice Ed Radio. Thank you so much. Have a great night, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Kesara Sara with me, Sarah Ann Lalone. You can stay connected with me on Twitter at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Lalonde, L-A-L-O-N-D-E-E. And you can also find my podcast on iTunes under Kesara Sarah.